Section 92 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. 2. Juvenile Crossing Sweepers. A. The Boy Crossing Sweepers. Boy Crossing Sweepers and Tumblers. A remarkably intelligent lad, who, on being spoken to, at once consented to give all the information in his power, told me the following story of his life. It will be seen from this boy's account, and the one or two following, that a kind of partnership exists among some of these young sweepers. They have associated themselves together, appropriated several crossings to their use, and appointed a captain over them. They have their forms of trial and jury-house for the settlement of disputes. Laws have been framed which govern their commercial proceedings, and a kind of language adopted by the society for its better protection from its arch-enemy, the policeman. I found the lad who first gave me an insight into the proceedings of the associated crossing-sweepers crouched on the stone steps of a door in Adelaide Street, Strand, and when I spoke to him he was preparing to settle down in a corner and go to sleep, his legs and body being curled round almost as closely as those of a cat on a hearth. The moment he heard my voice he was upon his feet, asking me to give a halfpenny to poor little Jack. He was a good-looking lad, with a pair of large mild eyes which he took good care to turn up with an expression of supplication as he moaned for his halfpenny a cap or more properly a stuff bag covered a crop of hair which had matted itself into the form of so many paint brushes while his face from its roundness of feature and the complexion of dirt had an almost indian look about it the colour of his hands too was such that you could imagine he had been shelling walnuts he ran before me, treading cautiously with his naked feet, until I reached a convenient spot to take down his statement, which was as follows. I've got no mother or father. Mother has been dead for two years, and father's been gone more than that, more nigh five years. He died at Ipswich in Suffolk. He was a perfumer by trade, and used to make hair dye, and scent, and pomatum, and all kinds of scents. He didn't keep a shop himself, but he used to serve them as did. He didn't hawk his goods about, neither but had regular customers, what used to send him a letter, and then he'd take them what they wanted. Yes, he used to serve some good shops. There was H's of London Bridge, what's a large chemist's. He used to make a good deal of money, but he lost it betting. And so his brother, my uncle, did all his. He used to go up to High Park, and then go round by the hospital, and then turn up a yard, where all the men are who play for money. Note, Tattersall's, end note. And there he'd lose his money, or sometimes win but that wasn't often. I remember he used to come home tipsy and say he'd lost on this or that horse, naming what one he'd laid on, and then mother would coax him to bed and afterwards sit down and begin to cry. I was not with father when he died, but I was when he was dying, for I was sent up along with eldest sister to London with a letter to uncle, who was head servant at a doctor's. In this letter, mother asked uncle to pay back some money what he owed and what father lent him and she asked him if he'd like to come down and see father before he died. I recollect I went back again to mother by the Orwell steamer. I was well dressed then, and had good clothes on, and I was given to the care of the captain, Mr. King his name was. But when I got back to Ipswich, father was dead. Mother took on dreadful. She was ill for three months afterwards, confined to her bed. She hardly ate anything, only beef tea, I think they call it, and eggs, all the while she kept on crying. Mother kept a servant. Yes, sir, we always had a servant, as long as I can recollect. And she and the woman as was there, Anna, they called her, an old lady. 
used to take care of me and sister. Sister was fourteen years old. She's married to a young man now, and they've gone to America. She went from a place in the East India docks, and I saw her off. I used, when I was with mother, to go to school in the morning, and go at nine and come home at twelve to dinner, then go again at two and leave off at half-past four. That is, if I behaved myself and did all my lessons right, for if I did not, I was kept back till I did them so. Mother used to pay one shilling a week, and extra for the copy-books and things. I can read and write, oh yes, I mean, read and write well. Read anything, even old English. And I write pretty fair, though I don't get much reading now, unless it's penny paper. I've got one in my pocket now. It's the London Journal. There's a tale in it now about two brothers, and one of them steals the child away and puts another in his place, and then he gets found out and all that, and he's just been fallen off a bridge now. After mother got better, she sold all the furniture and goods and came up to London. Poor mother. She let a man of the name of Hayes have the greater part, and he left Ipswich soon after, and never gave mother the money. We came up to London, and mother took two rooms in Westminster, and I and sister lived along with her. She used to make hair nets, and sister helped her, and used to take them to the hairdressers to sell. She made these nets for two or three years, though she was suffering with a bad breast. She died of that, poor thing, for she had what doctors calls cancer. Perhaps you've heard of him, sir. And they had to cut all round here. Note, making motions with his hands from the shoulder to the bosom. End note. Sister saw it, though I didn't. Ah, she was a very good, kind mother, and very fond of both of us. Though father wasn't, for he'd always have a noise with mother when he come home, only he was seldom with us when he was making his goods. After mother died, sister still kept on making nets, and I lived with her for some time, until she told me she couldn't afford to keep me no longer, though she seemed to have a pretty good lot to do. But she would never let me go with her to the shops, though I could crochet, which she'd learned me, and I used to run and get her all the silks and things what she wanted. But she was keeping company with a young man, and one day they went out and came back and said they'd been and got married. It was him as got rid of me. He was kind to me for the first two or three months, while he was keeping her company, but before he was married he got a little cross, and after he was married he begun to get more cross, and used to send me to play in the streets and tell me not to come home again till night. One day he hit me, and I said I wouldn't be hit about by him. And then at tea that night, sister gave me three shillings, and told me I must go and get my own living. So I bought a box and brushes, they cost me just the money, and went cleaning boots, and I done pretty well with them, till my box was stole from me by a boy where I was lodging. He's in prison now, got six calendar for picking pockets. Sister kept all my clothes. When I asked her for them, she said they was disposed of, along with all mother's goods. But she gave me some shirts and stockings and such like, and I had very good clothes, only they was all worn out. I saw sister after I left her many times. I asked her many times to take me back, but she used to say it was not her likes, but her husband's, and she'd have had me back. And I think it was true, for until he came, she was a kind-hearted girl, but he said he'd enough to do to look after his own living. He was a fancy baker by trade. I was fifteen, the twenty-fourth of last May, sir, and I've been sweeping crossings now near upon two years. There's a party of six of us, and we have the crossings from St. Martin's Church as far as Pall Mall. I always go along with them as lodges in the same place as I do. In the daytime, if it's dry, we do anything what we can, open cabs or anything. But if it's wet, we separate, and I and another gets a crossing. Those who gets on it first keeps it, and we stand on each side and take our chance. We do it in this way. If I was to see two gentlemen coming, I should cry out, Two toffs! And then they are mine. 
and whether they give me anythink or not, they are mine, and my mate is bound not to follow them, for if he did, he would get a hiding from the whole lot of us. If we both cry out together, then we share. If it's a lady and gentleman, then we cries, a toff and a doll. Sometimes we are caught out in this way. Perhaps it is a lady and gentleman and a child, and if I was to see them and only say, a toff and a doll, and leave out the child, then my mate can add the child, and as he is right and I wrong, then it's his party. If there's a policeman close at hand, we mustn't ask for money. But we are always on the lookout for the policeman, and if we see one, then we calls out, Philip, for that's our signal. One of the policemen at St. Martin's Church, Bandy we calls him, knows what Philip means, for he's up to us, so we had to change the word. Note, at the request of the young crossing sweeper, the present signal is omitted. End note. Yesterday on the crossing, I got threepence halfpenny, but when it's dry like today, I do nothing, for I haven't got a penny yet. We never carries no pockets, for if the policemen find us, we generally pass the money to our mates, for if money's found on us, we have fourteen days in prison. If I was to reckon all the year round, that is, one day with another, I think we make fourpence every day, and if we were to stick to it, we should make more, for on a very muddy day we do better. One day, the best I ever had, from nine o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night, I made seven shillings and sixpence, and got not one bit of silver money among it. Every shilling I got, I went and left at a shop near where my crossing is, for fear I might get into any harm. The shop's kept by a woman we deals with for what we wants, tea and butter, or sugar, or brooms, anything we wants. Saturday night week, I made two and sixpence, that's what I took altogether, up to six o'clock. When we see the rain, we say together, Oh, there's a jolly good rain. We'll have a good day tomorrow. If a shower comes on, and we are at our room, which we general are about three o'clock, to get something to eat. Besides, we general go there to see how much each other's taken in the day. Why, out we run with our brooms. We're always sure to make money if there's mud. That's to say, if we look for our money and ask. Of course, if we stand still, we don't. Now there's Lord Fitzharding. He's a good gentleman what lives in Spring Gardens, in a large house. He's got a lot of servants and carriages. Every time he crosses the Charing Cross crossing, he always gives the girl half a sovereign. Note, this statement was taken in June 1856. End note. He doesn't cross often, because, hang it, he's got such a lot of carriages. But when he's on foot, he always does. If they asks him, he doesn't give nothing. But if they touches their caps, he does. The housekeeper at his house is very kind to us. We run errands for her, and when she wants any of her own letters taken to the post, then she calls, and if we are on the crossing, we take some for her. She's a very nice lady, and gives us broken victuals. I've got a share in that crossing. There are three of us, and when he gives the half-sovereign, he always gives it to the girl, and those that are in it shares it. She would do us out of it if she could, but we all takes good care of that, for we are all cheats. At night time we tumbles, that is, if the policeman ain't nigh. We goes general to Waterloo Place when the opera's on. We sends on one of us ahead as a looker-out to look for the policeman, and then we follows. It's no good tumbling to gentlemen going to the opera. It's when they're coming back they give us money. When they've got a young lady on their arm, they laugh at us tumbling. Some will give us a penny, others threepence. Sometimes a sixpence or a shilling, and sometimes a halfpenny. We either do the cat and wheel, or else we keep before the gentleman and lady, turning head over heels, putting our broom on the ground and then turning over it. I work a good deal fetching cabs after the opera is over. We general open the doors of those what draw up at the side of the pavement 
for people to get into as have walked a little down the haymarket looking for a cab. We gets a month in prison if we touch the others by the columns. I once had half a sovereign given me by a gentleman. It was raining awful, and I run all about for a cab, and at last I got one. The gentleman knew it was half a sovereign because he said, Here, my little man, here's half a sovereign for your trouble. He had three ladies with him, beautiful ones, with nothing on their heads and only capes on their bare shoulders, and he had white kids on, and his regular opera togs too. I liked him very much, and as he was going to give me something, the lady says, Oh, give him something extra. It was pouring with rain, and they couldn't get a cab. They were all engaged, but I jumped on the box of one as was driving along the line. Last Saturday opera night, I made fifteen pence by the gentleman coming out of the opera. After the opera, we go into the haymarket, where all the women are who walk the streets all night. They don't give us no money, but they tell the gentlemen to. Sometimes, when they are talking to the gentlemen, they say, Go away, you young rascal! And if they are saucy, then we say to them, We're not talking to you, my doxy, we're talking to the gentlemen. But that's only if they're rude, for if they speak civil, we always goes. They knows what doxy means. What is it? Why, that they are no better than us. If we are on the crossing and we says to them as they go by, Good luck to you, they always give us something, either that night or the next. There are two with bloomer bonnets who always give us something if we says, Good luck. Sometimes a gentleman will tell us to go and get them a young lady, and then we goes, and they general gives us sixpence for that. If the gents is dressed finely, we gets them a handsome girl. If they're dressed middling, then we gets them a middling dressed one. But we usual prefers giving a turn to girls that have been kind to us, and they are sure to give us something the next night. If we don't find any girls walking, we know where to get them in the houses in the streets round about. We always meet at St. Martin's Steps, the jury house we calls them, at three o'clock in the morning, that's always our hour. We reckon up what we've taken, but we don't divide. Sometimes, if we owe anything where we lodge, the women of the house will be waiting on the steps for us. Then, if we've got it, we pay them. If we haven't, why, it can't be helped, and it goes on. We gets into debt because sometimes the women where we live gets lushy. Then we don't give them anything because they'd forget it. So we spends it ourselves. We can't lodge at what's called model lodging houses, as our hours don't suit them folks. We pay threepence a night for lodging. Food, if we get plenty of money, we buys for ourselves. We buys a pound of bread, that's tuppence farthing, best seconds, and a farthing's worth of dripping. That's enough for a pound of bread, and we gets a haporth of tea and a haporth of sugar. Or if we're hard up, we gets only a penorth of bread. We make our own tea at home. They lends us a kittle, teapot, and cups and saucers and all that. Once or twice a week we gets meat. We all club together and go into Newgate Market and get some pieces cheap and biles them at home. We tosses up who shall have the biggest bit, and we divide the broth, a cupful in each basin, until it's lasted out. If any of us has been unlucky, we each gives the unlucky one one or two halfpence. Some of us is obliged at times to sleep out all night, and sometimes, if any of us gets nothing, then the other gives him a penny or two, and he does the same for us when we are out of luck. Besides, there's our clothes. I'm paying for a pair of boots now. I paid a shilling off Saturday night. When we gets home at half-past three in the morning, whoever cries out, first wash, has it. First of all, we washes our feet, and we all uses the same water. Then we washes our faces and hands and necks, and whoever fetches the fresh water up, has first wash. And if the second don't like to go and get fresh, why he uses the dirty. Whenever we come in, the landlady makes us wash our feet. Very often the stones cuts our feet, and makes them bleed. 
Then we bind a bit of rag round them. We like to put on boots and shoes in the daytime, but at night time we can't, because it stops the tumbling. On the Sunday we all have a clean shirt put on before we go out, and then we go and tumble after the omnibuses. Sometimes we do very well on a fine Sunday, when there's plenty of people out on the roofs of the buses. We never do anything on a wet day, but only when it's been raining and then dried up. I have run after a Kermorne bus, when they've thrown us money, as far as from Charing Cross right up to Piccadilly. But if they don't throw us nothing, we don't run very far. I should think we gets at that work, taking one Sunday with another, eightpence all the year round. When there's snow on the ground, we puts our money together and goes and buys an old shovel. And then about seven o'clock in the morning, we goes to the shops and asks them if we shall scrape the snow away. We general gets tuppence every house, but some give sixpence, for it's very hard to clean the snow away, particular when it's been on the ground some time. It's awful cold and gives us chilblains on our feet, but we don't mind it when we're working, for we soon gets hot then. Before winter comes, we generals save up our money and buys a pair of shoes. Sometimes we makes a very big snowball and rolls it up to the hotels, and then the gentleman laughs and throws us money. Or else we pelt each other with snowballs, and then they scrambles money between us. We always go to Morley's Hotel at Charing Cross. The police in winter times is kinder to us than in summer, and they only laughs at us. Perhaps it is because there is not so many of us about then, only them as is obligated to find a living for themselves. For many of the boys has fathers and mothers as sends them out in summer, but keeps them at home in winter when it's piercing cold. I have been to the station house, because the police always takes us up if we are out at night. But we're only locked up till morning, that is, if we behaves ourselves when we're taken before the gentleman. Mr. Hall at Bow Street only says, poor boy, let him go. But it's only when we've done nothing but stop out that he says that. He's a kind old gentleman, but mind, it's only when you have been before him two or three times he says so, because if it's a many times, he'll send you for fourteen days. But we don't mind the police much at night time, because we jumps over the walls round the place at Trafalgar Square, and they don't like to follow us at that game, and only stands looking at you over the parapet. There was one try to jump the wall, but he split his trousers all to bits, and now they're afraid. That was old Bandy as bust his breeches. And we all hate him, as well as another we calls Black Diamond, what's general along with the red liners, as we calls the mendicity officers, who goes about in disguise as gentlemen, to take up poor boys caught begging. When we are talking together, we always talk in a kind of slang. Each policeman we gives a regular name. There's Bull's Head, Bandy Shanks, and Old Cherry Legs, and Dot and Carry One. They all knows their names as well as us. We never talks of crossings, but fakes. We don't make no slang of our own, but uses the regular one. A broom doesn't last us more than a week in wet weather, and they costs us tuppence halfpenny each, but in dry weather they are good for a fortnight. Young Mike's Statement The next lad I examined was called Mike. He was a short, stout-set youth, with a face like an old man's, for the features were hard and defined, and the hollows had got filled up with dirt till his countenance was brown as an old wood carving. I have seldom seen so dirty a face, for the boy had been in a perspiration, and then wiped his cheeks with his muddy hands until they were marbled like the covering to a copy-book. The old lady of the house in which the boy lived seemed to be hurt by the unwashed appearance of her lodger. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself, and that's God's truth, not to go and sluice yourself afore speaking to the gentleman,' she cried, looking alternately at me and the lad, as if asking me to witness her indignation. Mike wore no shoes, 
but his feet were as black as if cased in gloves with short fingers. His coat had been a man's, and the tails reached to his ankles. One of the sleeves was wanting, and a dirty rag had been wound round the arm in its stead. His hair spread about like a tuft of grass where a rabbit has been squatting. He said, I haven't got neither no father nor no mother. Never had, sir, for father's been dead these two year, and mother's getting on for eight. There was both Irish people, please, sir, and father was a bricklayer. When father was at work in the country, mother used to get work carrying loads at Covent Garden Market. I lived with father till he died, and that was from a complaint in his chest. After that, I lived along with my big brother, what's listed in the Marines now. He used to sweep a crossing in Camden Town, opposite the Southampton Harms, near the Tollgate. He did pretty well up there sometimes, such as on Christmas Day, where he has took as much as six shillings sometimes, and never less than one and sixpence. All the gentlemen's knowed him thereabouts, and one or two used to give him a shilling a week regular. It was he as first of all put me up to sweep a crossing, and I used to take my stand at St. Martin's Church. I didn't see anybody working there, so I planted myself on it. After a time, some other boys come up. They come up and wanted to turn me off, and began hitting me with their brooms. They hit me regular hard with the old stumps. There was five or six of them, so I couldn't defend myself, but told the policeman, and he turned them all away except me, because he saw me on first, sir. Now we are all friends and work together, and all that we earns ourselves we has. On a good day, when it's poured a rain and then leave off sudden, and made it nice and muddy, I've took as much as ninepence, but it's too dry now, and we don't do more than fourpence. At night, I go along with the others tumbling. I does the carton wheel. Note, probably a contraction of Catherine wheel, end note. I throws myself over sideways on my hands with my legs in the air. I can't do it more than four times running, because it makes the blood to my head, and then all the thing seems to turn round. Sometimes a chap will give me a lick with a stick, just as I'm going over. Sometimes a regular good hard whack, but it ain't often. I we generally gets a halfpenny or a penny by it. The boys as runs after the buses was the first to do these here cotton wheels. I know the boy as was the very first to do it. His name is Gander, so we calls him the Goose. There's about nine or ten of us in our gang, and as is regular. We lodges at different places, and we has our regular hours for meeting. But we all comes and goes when we likes, only we keeps together so as not to let any others come on the crossings but ourselves. If another boy tries to come on, we cries out, Here's a Russian! And then if he won't go away, we all sets on him and gives him a drubbing. And if he still comes down the next day, we pays him out twice as much and harder. There's never been one down there yet as can lick us all together. If we sees one of our pals being pitched into by other boys, we goes up and helps him. Gander's the leader of our gang, because he can tumble backwards. No, that ain't the cat and wheel, that's tumbling. So he gets more tin give him, and that's why we makes him cap'n. After twelve at night, we goes to the Regent Circus, and we tumbles there to the gentlemen and ladies. The most I ever got was sixpence at a time. The French ladies never give us nothing, but they all says, chit, 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 like hissing at us, for they can't understand us, and we are as bad off with them. If it's a wet night, we leaves off work about twelve o'clock, and don't bother with the haymarket. The first as gets to the crossing does the sweeping away of the mud. Then they has in return all the halfpence they can take. When it's been wet every day, a broom gets down to stump in about four days. We either burns the old brooms, or, if we can, we sells them for a halfpenny to some other boy, if he's flat enough to buy them. Gander, the captain of the boy crossing sweepers. 
Gander, the captain of the gang of boy crossing sweepers, was a big lad of sixteen, with a face devoid of all expression until he laughed, when the cheeks, mouth, and forehead instantly became crumpled up with a wonderful quantity of lines and dimples. His hair was cut short, and stood up in all directions, like the bristles of a hearth broom, and was a light dust tint, matching with the hue of his complexion, which also, from an absence of washing, had turned to a decided drab, or what house-painters term a stone colour. He spoke with a lisp, occasioned by the loss of two of his large front teeth, which allowed the tongue, as he talked, to appear through the opening in a round knob like a raspberry. The boy's clothing was in a shocking condition. He had no coat, and his blue-striped shirt was as dirty as a French polisher's rags, and so tattered that the shoulder was completely bare, while the sleeve hung down over the hand like a big bag. From the fish scales on the sleeve of his coat, it had evidently once belonged to some coster in the herring line. The nap was all worn off, so that the lines of the web were showing like a coarse carpet, and instead of buttons, string had been passed through holes pierced at the side. Of course he had no shoes on, and his black trousers, which, with the grease on them, were gradually assuming a tarpaulin look, were fastened over one shoulder by means of a brace and bits of string. During his statement, he illustrated his account of the tumbling backwards, the catten wheeling, with different specimens of the art, throwing himself about on the floor with an ease and almost grace, and taking up so small a space off the ground for the performance that his limbs seemed to bend as though his bones were flexible like cane. To tell you the blessed truth, I can't say the last shilling I handled. Don't you go a-believing on him, whispered another lad in my ear, while Gander's head was turned. He took thirteen pence last night, he did. It was perfectly impossible to obtain from this lad any account of his average earnings. The other boys in the gang told me that he made more than any of them, but Gander, who is a thorough street beggar, and speaks with a particular whine, and who, directly you look at him, puts on an expression of deep distress, seemed to have made up his mind that if he made himself out to be in great want, I should most likely relieve him so he would not budge an inch from his tuppence a day, declaring it to be the maximum of his daily earnings. Ah, he continued, with a persecuted tone of voice, if I had only got a little money, I'd be a bright youth. The first chances I get of earning a few halfpence, I'll buy myself a coat and be off to the country, and I'll lay something I'd soon be a gentleman then, and come home with a couple of pounds in my pocket, instead of never having ne'er a farthing as now. One of the other lads here exclaimed, Don't go on like that there, Goose. You're making us out all liars to the gentleman. The old woman also interfered. She lost all patience with Gander and reproached him for making a false return of his income. She tried to shame him into truthfulness by saying, Look at my Johnny, my grandson, sir. He's not a quarter of Goose's size, and yet he'll bring me home his shilling, or perhaps eighteen pence or two shillings. For shame on you, Gander. Now, did you make six shillings last week? Now, speak God's truth. What? Six shillings? cried the goose, and he began to look up at the ceiling and shake his hands. Why, I never heard of such a sum. I did once see a half-crown, but I don't know as I ever touched e'er a one. Then, added the old woman indignantly, it is because you're idle, Gander, and you don't study when you're on the crossing, but lets the gentlefolk go by without ever a word. That's what it is, sir. The goose seemed to feel the truth of this reproach, for he said with a sigh, I knows I am fickle-minded. He then continued his statement. 
I can't tell how many brooms I use, for as fast as I gets one it is took from me. God help me ! they watch me put it away, and then up they comes and takes it. What kinds of brooms is the best ? Why, as far as I am concerned, I would sooner have a stump on a dry day ; it's lighter and handier to carry ; but on a wet day, give me a new un. I'm sixteen, your honour, and my name's George Gandea, and the boys call me * The Goose,' in consequence, for it's a nickname they gives me, though my name ain't spelt with a har at the end, but with a hay, so that I ain't Gander at all, but Gandea, which is a sell for 'em. God knows what I am, whether I'm Hirish or Hitalian or what, but I was christened here in London, and that's all about it. Father was a bookbinder. I'm sixteen now, and father turned me away when I was nine year old, for mother had been dead before that. I was told my right name by my brother-in-law, who had my register. He's a sweep, sir, by trade, and I wanted to know about my real name when I was going down to the Waterloo. That's a ship as I wanted to get aboard as a cabin boy. I remember the first night I slept out after father got rid of me. I slept on a gentleman's doorstep in the winter, on the 15th January. I packed my shirt and coat, which was a pretty good one, right over my ears, and then scrunched myself into a doorway, and the policeman passed by four or five times without saying on me. I had the mother-in-law at the time, but father used to drink, or else I should never have been as I am, and he came home one night and he says, Go out and get me a few halfpence for breakfast. And I said I had never been in the streets of my life and couldn't. And says he, go out and never let me see you no more. And I took him to his word and have never been near him since. Father lived in Barbican at the time. And after leaving him, I used to go to the Royal Exchange. And there I met a boy of the name of Michael. And he first lent me to beg and made me run after people saying, poor boy, sir, please give us a halfpenny to get a morsel of bread. But as far as I got anything, he used to take it away and knock me about shameful. So I left him, and then I picked up with a chap as taught me tumbling. I soon learned how to do it, and then I used to go tumbling after buses. That was my notion all along, and I hadn't picked up the way of doing it half an hour before I was after that game. I took to crossings about eight year ago, and the very first person as I asked, I had a fourpenny piece give to me. I said to him, Poor little Jack, your honour. And first of all, says he, I haven't got no coppers, and then he turns back and gives me a fourpenny bit. I thought I was made for life when I got that. I wasn't working in a gang then, but all by myself, and I used to do well, making about a shilling or ninepence a day. I lodged in Church Lane at that time. It was at the time of the Shibition year, note, 1851, end note, as these gangs come up. There was lots of boys that came out sweeping, and that's how they picked up the tumbling off me seeing me do it up in the park, going along to the Shibition. The crossing at St. Martin's Church was mine, first of all, and when the other lads come to it, I didn't take no heed of them, only for that I'd have been a bright boy by now, but they carried me over like, for when I tried to turn them off, they'd say, in a carrying way, Oh, let us stay on, so I never took no heed of them. There was about thirteen of them in my gang at that time. They made me captain over the lot, I suppose because they thought I was the best tumbler of them. They obeyed me a little. If I told them not to go to any gentleman, they wouldn't, and leave him to me. There was only one feller as used to give me a share of his money, and that was for learning him to tumble. He'd give me a penny or tuppence, just as he earned a little or a lot. I taught him all to tumble, and we used to do it near the crossing, and at night along the streets. We used to be sometimes together of a day, some are running after one gentleman, and some after another, but we seldom kept together more than three or four at a time. 
I was the first to introduce tumbling back'ards, and I'm proud of it. Yes, sir, I'm proud of it. There's another little chap as I'm learning to do it, but he ain't got strength enough in his arms like. Ah, exclaimed a lad in the room. He is a one to tumble his Johnny. Go along the streets like anything. He is the king of the tumblers, continued Gander. King, and I'm cap'n. The old grandmother here joined in. He was taught by a foreign gentleman, sir, whose wife rode at a circus. He used to come here twice a day and give him lessons in this here very room, sir. That's how he got it, sir. Ah, added another lad in an admiring tone. See him and the goose have a race. Away they goes. But Jackie will leave him a mile behind. The history then continued. People liked the tumbling backers and forwards, and it got a good bit of money at first. But they is getting tired with it, and I'm growing too old, I fancy. It hurt me awful at first. I tried it first under a railway arch of the Blackwell Railway, and when I goes backwards, I thought it'd cut my head open. It hurts me if I've got a thin cap on. The man as taught me tumbling has gone on the stage. First he went about with swords, fencing in public houses, and then he got engaged. Me and him once tumbled all round the circus at the Rotunda one night, what was a benefit, and got one and eightpence apiece and all for only five hours and a half, from six to half-past eleven, and reacting and tumbling and all that. We had plenty of beer, too. We was very much applauded when we did it. I was the first boy as ever did ornamental work in the mud of my crossings. I used to be at the crossing at my corner of Regent Succus, and that's the very place where I first did it. The very first thing as I did was a hanker. Note, anchor, end note. A regular one, with turn-up sides, and a rope down the centre and all. I sweeped it away clean in the mud in the shape of the drawing I'd seen. It paid well, for I took one and ninepence on it. The next thing I tried was writing God Save the Queen, and that too paid capital, for I think I got two bob. After that I tried We Har, note V-R, end note, and a star, and that was a sweep too. I never did no flowers, but I've done imitations of florals, and put them all round the crossing, and very pretty it looked too at night. I'd buy a farthing candle and stick it over it, and make it nice and comfortable, so that the people could look at it easy. Whenever I see a carriage coming, I used to douse the glim and run away with it, but the wheels would regularly spile the drawings, and then we'd have all the trouble to put it to rights again, and that we used to do with our hands. I first learned drawing in the mud from a man in Adelaide Street, Strand. He kept a crossing, but he only used to draw him close to the curbstone. He used to keep some soft mud there and when a carriage come up to the Lowther Arcade, after he'd opened the door and let the lady out, he would set to work, and by the time she come back, he'd have some flowers, or a wee har, or whatever he liked, done in the mud, and underneath he'd write, Please to remember honest industry. I used to stand by and see him do it, until I'd learnt, and when I knowed, I went off and did it at my crossing. I was the first to light up at night, though, and now I wish I'd never done it, for it was that which got me turned off my crossing, and a capital one it was. I thought the gentleman coming from the play would like it, for it looked very pretty. The policeman said I was destructing, note, obstructing, end note, the thoroughfare, and making too much row there, for the people used to stop in the crossing to look, it were so pretty. He took me in charge three times on one night, cause I wouldn't go away, but he let me go again, till at last I thought he would lock me up for the night, so I hooked it. It was after this as I went to St. Martin's Church, and I haven't done half as well there. Last night I took three halfpence, but I was larking, or I might have had more.
as a proof of the very small expense which is required for the toilette of a crossing sweeper, I may mention that within a few minutes after Master Gander had finished his statement, he was in possession of a coat for which he had paid the sum of fivepence. When he brought it into the room, all the boys and the women crowded round to see the purchase. It's a very good un, said the goose. It only wants just taking up here and there, and this cuff putting to rights. And as he spoke, he pointed to tears large enough for a head to be thrust through. I've seen that coat afore summers, said one of the women. Where did you get it? At the Chandley shop, answered the goose. End of section 92